The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 140, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. Selah. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have purposed to make my steps stumble. The proud have hidden a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set traps for me. Selah. I said to the Lord, you are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. Selah. As for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits that they rise not up again. Let not a slanderer be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. Okay, we are in Judges 5. This is the Song of Deborah. We're going to do verses 13 through 23. And before I read these, I want to remind you that these are very technical. They're very complicated. Don't try to remember what you're hearing. Just listen to it and try to appreciate the the marvel of the structure of what God has put in this precious word of his in these particular verses. Um, We're starting verse 13 through 23. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples, from Machir, rulers came down. And from Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter's staff. And the priests of Issachar were with Deborah. As Issachar, so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben... There were great resolves of heart. Why do you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. The kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought into Anach by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. That ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. Oh, my soul, march on in strength. Then the horse's hooves pounded, the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse, Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. 
Some of the words, clauses, and verses of this section are extremely complicated. In addition, there are knotty words, complex structures, difficult thoughts to be expressed, and so on. Despite that, there are also obvious points that stand above the complicated details. One of them is indecision. It is true that people can sometimes be overly decisive and wind up in a pickle from acting too hastily. Conversely, some have a knack for making the right decision at the right time and following through with it for the best results. They do it consistently and they get ahead in life. I'm looking at a couple people right now around here that are just like that. As for the inaction just mentioned, some may think about doing something to the point that what is considered is eventually overcome by other events. Admittedly, and my wife will tell you this, that describes me in many ways. However, the Lord has put a wonderful wife and great friends in my path to spur me along before it's too late for some opportunities. There are others who will never come to a decision about anything, even with prompting by those who know exactly what to do, how to do it, and so on. Sometimes we don't act because we just don't want to get involved. We know that it's right to do so, and yet we stay put and go about life as we see fit. Several types of inaction are seen in our verses today. One can see the frustration in Deborah's words as she pours out her complaints to the people because of it. Our text verse comes from Ecclesiastes 3. It is verse 1. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. In his list of things that there is a time for, Solomon says that there is a time for war and a time for peace. Here, the people of Israel were called to war. Some responded to the call and some did not. Those who responded are commemorated to this day favorably in the pages of Scripture. They are the heroes of old who heard and obeyed the call of the Lord. There are those who failed to heed the call and they are remembered in a different way. If my thoughts are right on one of the verses, it is actually laughable how they are remembered. I think you will agree. And I don't mean to be perverse when I get to those words. It's what I think it says and I think you'll laugh about it. I have personally talked to people about Jesus who simply couldn't decide what to do. Heaven's doors were opened right before them, but they were so stuck in the world that they wouldn't commit to entering through them. I hope their indecision is over and that they have decided to walk through that open door, but that is ultimately their choice. But for those of us who know the Lord, we still have choices to make about the calling of the Lord. How will we live it out? Israel was given a calling as the Lord's people. They were to live out that calling in a manner that was appropriate. In the case of times of war, they were to trust the Lord, respond to the call, and join with those on their way to battle. Deborah's words in these verses will speak of those who lived in a manner worthy of their calling, contrasted with those who idled their time away, not acting in accord with the word of the Lord. Let us think about our lives as believers and learn the lesson of Israel and those within the nation who are remembered according to their deeds. Their deeds were ultimately based on their faith or lack of faith in the Lord. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again and may God speak to us through his word today and may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first of two thoughts today is great searchings of heart. It's verses 13 through 18. The first verse of today's passage is probably as difficult as any so far in Scripture, from Genesis until this verse. 
This is not only in translation, but in how to translate. For example, depending on how it is pointed, the word translated as came down, yarad, is spelled the same as the word for rule, rada. The Greek translates it as came down, but the Masoretic text went with the more difficult rule. Therefore, two completely different translations will result. The difficulty begins there because of the highly complicated structure of the words. Therefore, once one decides on which word, descend, or rule is correct, there are still innumerable possibilities of where to divide the words and how to render them. Verse 13, Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. As yerad sarid le adarim am. Yehovah Yerad Li Bagiborim. It is not sure where to divide the words. It could be then ruled or descended remnant to Majesty's people, Yehovah ruled or descended to me and the mighties. Or it could say then ruled or descended remnant to Majesty's people, Yehovah ruled or descended to me and the mighties. So we don't know where it actually divides properly. From this most basic translation, the intent must be determined and then explained with accompanying words for it to make any meaningful sense. For example, if the word rada to rule is decided upon, then it is causative. Then he caused a remnant to rule against the nobles of the people. Jehovah caused me to rule among the warriors. This is given a brief snapshot of the difficulties of the words. We could explore them for an hour without coming to a proper resolution. Therefore, I will use the pointing of the Masoretic text just to give you an analysis. Then ruled remnant to majesty's people. This translation is assuming that all that we have looked at and a great deal more. The word remnant is not referring to just a handful of people as it often does. In this case, it is referring to those who entered the battle. Not all of the tribes fought in the battle. Those who did engage were considered a remnant of Israel. As such, they are poetically said to be given rule among the greatest and most majestic of the people. They are the heroes of the song. In parallel to that, Deborah next says, Yehovah rule to me in the mighties. Because she is Israel's judge, both accompanying and inspiring the warriors going into battle, Deborah is poetically said to be given rule among the great, the mighties of the people. To paraphrase how I believe the words should be rendered, the verse says, at that time, he made the remnant to rule among the most majestic. Jehovah made me rule among the mightiest. However, if you want to compare the variations of about 50 translations to see how markedly different some of them are, you go to the link that I've put in the sermon and look, you won't believe how many variations there are. As I translated it, the words form an AA parallel between those who engage in the battle and Deborah, who was a participant in the events. As Yerad Sarid Le Adarim Am, Yehovah Yerad Li Bagiborim. A. Then rule remnant to majesty's people. A. Yehovah rule to me in the mighties. Of the words of this verse, I defer to the comments of the translators of the King James Version in their preface. They say, therefore, as St. Augustine saith, that a variety of translations is profitable 
for the finding out of the sense of the scriptures. So diversity of signification and sense in the margin where the text is not so clear must needs do good. Yea, is necessary as we are persuaded. In other words, in the case of such a difficult verse, it is profitable to read many translations to hopefully get the proper sense of the words. This is profitable. Also, read the margin comments or footnotes because the text is not so clear. With that, Deborah continues. Verse 14, from Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples. From Machir, rulers came down. And from Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter's staff. Mini Ephraim, Sharsham, Ba'amalek. Aharicha, Binyamim, Ba'amamecha. Min Machir, Yaredu, Mi Chokim. Umizvelun, Beshevet, Sofer. From Ephraim, their root in Amalek. Again, it isn't certain what is being referred to. What seems likely is that Ephraim settled in the land where Amalek had settled. Although they were settled in many places, a particular designation of one of their dwellings is made in Judges 12, 15. So you can see what I'm talking about. And Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Peratonite, died and was buried in Peraton, in the land of Ephraim, in the Mount of the Amalekites. So you can see there are different places where they are. This is an example of it. Therefore, warriors came out for the battle from the area where Amalek was. The term their root speaks of where they themselves were planted by the Lord. After you, Benjamin, in your peoples. The words here can mean one of two things. The first is that Benjamin came after Ephraim to join the battle. Hence, it would be from Ephraim came this group. After you, Ephraim, came Benjamin to join your peoples. Or it could be saying that Benjamin has the preeminence. From Ephraim came this group, but they came after you, O Benjamin, in the number of your people. Either way, Benjamin assisted in the call to arms and joined in the battle against Sisera. Next, from Machir, descended in scribers. The same word used in Judges 5 verse 9 is used here, hakak. It signifies to cut in, inscribe, and so on. Thus it is one who makes a decree, as in a lawgiver or a sovereign authority within a group, such as a clan. Machir was the only son of Manasseh. His descendants settled on both sides of the Jordan, but those on the west side are being referred to. The meaning is that the clan leaders of western Manasseh came down to the battle. The implication is that they led the people of Manasseh under them so that the tribe was well represented. After that, it next says, and from Zebulun, drawers in rod counter. Zebulun is likewise represented. The word mashak means to draw or drag. The rod is a symbol of either authority or it represents a tribe. The word safar means to count. Here it is used to describe what the person does. And so many translations will make it a noun, such as a scribe. 1 Chronicles 18, Zadok the son of Ahitub and Abimelech the son of Abiathar were the priests. Shavshah was the scribe, the safar, the counter. In the case of what Deborah is saying, this is the one who would number the people for battle. It may even extend to a recruiting officer, such as was found in 2 Kings 25, where it says, he also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, five men of the king's close associates who were found in the city, the chief recruiting officer, Ha Sofer, the counter of the army, 
who mustered the people of the land and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city. Therefore, the verse is poetically referring to those who responded from these four tribes. It forms an AABB pattern. Mini Ephraim Sharsham Ba'amalek, Acharecha Binyamim Ba'amamecha, Mini Machir Yaridu Me Chokim, Umizvolum Beshevet Sofer. A, from Ephraim, their root in Amalek. A, after you, Benjamin, in your peoples. B, from Machir, descended in scribers. B again, and from Zebulun, drawers in rod counter. Verse 15, and the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. As Issachar, so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. Vesare ba Yisachar im Devora, va Yisachar ken Barak, ba emek shulach beraglav, biflagot Reuben, gedolim chike lev. And my commanders in Issachar with Deborah. The word Sar is used. It signifies a commander, a prince, a ruler, and so on. In Isaiah 9, the Messiah is called Sar Shalom, or Prince of Peace. The commanders of the people of Issachar accompanied Deborah. But more, though not translated this way by any Bible, the word is commonly accepted as first person singular. Thus it says, my commanders. Kyle disagrees, and he says, my princes or commanders, my princes does not furnish any appropriate meaning, as neither Deborah nor Barak was of the tribe of Issachar. And it is not stated anywhere that the Issacharites gathered round Deborah as their leaders. The reading Shari, static construction, adopted by the old versions must be taken as the correct one, and the introduction of the preposition Be does not preclude this. First, how does Kyle know where Deborah was from? Just because she judged between Bethel and Ramah in Mount Ephraim does not mean that she's not from Issachar. But even if she wasn't, saying my commanders could simply be a way of showing pride in Issachar's commanders in the army that she had called to battle through Barak. Further, repeating her own name in the words doesn't negate this at all. Rather, it would add to the poetic nature of the words. Render it my commanders and please ignore Kyle. As for naming the commanders, the implication is that there were troops under them. Thus, Issachar was well represented. Further, and Issachar, so Barak. The words mean that even as Issachar sent in commanders to lead the battle with troops under them, Barak was also a leader among the people. Next it notes, he led them in the valley, sent in his feet. The words first note that he was in the valley. The emek signifies depth. Therefore, it is a broad depression. That is followed with the same term as Judges 4.10, beraglav, or in his feet. It is as if he is leading and the men are actually following in his steps, being in submission to him. Deborah is reveling in leading the people who then led their troops into the battle. With that, a contrast is seen in the next words. In divisions, Reuben. Here is a new word to scripture, peluga. It will only be seen here in the next verse and in 2 Chronicles 35. It comes from palag, to split or divide. Thus, it is a section or division of the tribe. Its other use helps get the sense of the meaning. It says in 2 Chronicles 35, 
and stand in the holy place according to the divisions, the peluga of the father's houses of your brethren, the lay people, and according to the division of the father's house of the Levites. As a side note, instead of divisions, some translations say streams or watercourses. The reason for this is a similar word, palaga, is found in Job 20, verse 17, where it speaks of streams and rivers. Obviously, rivers divide the land, so this is where the meaning meets up. However, that doesn't hold up when considering that it would make no sense translating the other use of Paluga in 2 Chronicles as streams. As for Reuben, rather than joining in the battle, something else is noted. Great Resolution's heart. Here's another new word, chekek. It is derived from chok, a decree or a statute. Therefore, this speaks of a decree, an enactment, or a resolution. Some translations say thoughts of the heart, but that doesn't seem to be strong enough. It is a thought that has been decided upon or which is being decided upon. Thus, it is a resolve or a resolution. Deborah implies that while the tribes she is named acted and resolved to go to battle, Reuben was trying to resolve the matter but coming to no resolution. Instead, he sat idle, whittling away the time, inwardly muttering out his mental machinations. This state of Reuben is highlighted by the fact that its leaders are not even mentioned. It simply mentions the divisions of Israel, leaders and people, all just sitting there pondering what to do. As for the structure, the second clause complements and builds upon the first. The third then explains the first two. The fourth clause introduces the contrast with the fifth explaining it. Vesarai be yisashar im devora. Ve yisashar ken barak ba'amek shulach beraglav. Piflagot ruven gedolim chike lev. A. And commanders in Issachar with Deborah. A. And Issachar, so Barak. B. In the valley sent in his feet. C. In divisions, Reuben, D, great resolution's heart. Verse 16, why do you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. More difficult words to consider. Lama yashavta ben ha mishpataim, lishmoa srikot adarim, liflagot ruven, gedolim hikre lev. The translation of the first clause depends on the root of the main noun. Why sit between the trivets? Now, before I go on, I don't want you to trust me too much on this because there's a lot of guesswork. This is my best after thinking it through for about an hour, okay? When I get done, you'll understand why, but don't trust me on these. This is what I think is proper. It is actually unknown what the word mishpataim means. Most just go with sheepfolds because of the next clause. It comes from one of two roots, shafa to sweep bare, or more likely shafat, to set on the fire like a pot being set for cooking. If the latter, it is assumed to be something like fireplaces or ash heaps. I think Young's <laughs> literal translation goes with that. However, while considering the word and comparing it to the other two uses of the root verb, shafat, which do not describe setting a pot, Psalm 22:15 and Isaiah 26:12. I believe this is more precisely referring to a trivet on which pots are placed. Think of the people out in the Old West and they've got this thing that they put their pot on above the fire, right? It's trivet, it's got three legs. 
So it's a trivet. Thus, it is a firm base. That would match the other two uses of the root verb. The only other use of mishpataim is in Genesis 49.14, which most people translate as either sheepfolds or burdens. However, if I analyzed the next clause properly, trivet makes way more sense to me, okay? Hearing, hissings, flocks. The word sherukah or sherika is found only here. It is only seen again in Jeremiah 18.16. It is a noun coming from sharak, to hiss or whistle. Being a plural noun, it signifies hissings. The word ararim signifies flocks, herds, or droves. It is an arrangement or muster of animals, be it sheep, cattle, and so on. As sheeps and goats bleat and cattle low, I do not think this is referring to the animal's front end, if you catch my drift. It says hissings. Hence, Deborah is picking on them for idling around the fireplaces with trivets, listening to the flatulence of their animals. Mind you, the words are so obscure that they could be referring to pretty much anything. Regardless, the intent can be understood from the next clauses. Two divisions, Reuben. This is the second use of Peluga, saying divisions again appears to be the intent. The divisions of Reuben sitting among their flocks seems proper. In Numbers 32, it said, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Atorot debon Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliale, Shavam, Nebo, and Beon. The country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Reuben associated itself with livestock. Deborah is picking on them for sitting among the droves of livestock, listening to them hiss. <laughs> While sitting there, they had great searchings heart. Another new word, heker or searchings is introduced. It is etymologically connected to chekek, seen in the previous verse. It signifies a thing to be searched out. Being plural, Reuben is idling away their time thinking about what to do. You can see the parallelism between the verses. In divisions Reuben, great resolutions heart. Two divisions Reuben, great searchings heart. They were trying to come up with a suitable resolution, but each time they did, they searched out another, unable to simply get up and act. As I said, that would probably describe me as well as any of the possibilities. <laughs> Be advised, this verse is so complicated and so widely translated that whatever version you read, the meaning will be dubious. As for its structure, it is an A-A-B-C, where C explains B. Lama yashavta ben ha mishpataim, lishmoa srikot adarim, liflagot ruven, gedolim hikre lev. A. Why sit between the trivets? A. Hearing hissings flocks. B. To divisions Reuben? C. Great searchings heart. The difficulty of these words again brings to mind the thoughts of the translators of the King James Version. It hath pleased God in his divine providence, here and there, to scatter words and sentences of that difficulty and doubtfulness, not in doctrinal points that concern salvation. In other words, some things are very, very 
complicated and there's no resolution between all of them at any point. So far within the Song of Deborah, this is certainly the case. In the next words, she continues to implicitly upbraid the tribes who did not participate in the battle. Verse 17, Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. Gilad be'ever ha'yarden shaken, vedan lama yagur oniyot, asher yashav lechuf yamim, ve'al mifratzav yishkon. Gilead inside the Jordan. The word be'ever or inside can mean either side. It depends on the reference point. In this case, it means the Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, whose inheritance was the land of Gilead east of the Jordan, remained in his inheritance and did not assist in the battle. Manasseh was not unrepresented because Machir was noted in verse 14 as participating. Thus, to clarify the situation, Deborah defers to the name of the son, Gilead, who dwelt in the land of Gilead. And Dan, why sojourn ships? Dan is along the Mediterranean Sea. Deborah's question could mean that Dan continued to ply his trade on ships, ignoring the call to battle, or that Dan fled to his ships in fear. The former seems more likely. Dan just ignored the matter because it wasn't in their backyard. The affairs to the north didn't interest them, so they took their ships out as usual, sojourning where their business took them. In this, Deborah is chiding them for caring more about their own business than the needs of the nation. Next, Asher sat to coast seas. Based on Asher's location, this is a disgrace. Asher lay on the northwest coast adjoining Zebulun and Naphtali. They were close enough to easily muster troops and join the battle, but they simply sat on the coast, twiddling their thumbs. Deborah then repeats the sediment as a second slap in the face and upon his breakings dwelt. She uses another word that is found only here in scripture. This has to be the 20th by now, mithrats. It comes from parats, to break through. Thus it is a break in the coastline because of a harbor, river, outcropping of rocks or something like that. Her displeasure at the idleness of the tribe is seen in the use of sat, as in idling away the time, and dwelt, as if he is permanently stuck there doing so. It is an A-A-A-B pattern. Gilad be'ever hayarden shaken, vedan lama yagur oniyot, asher yashav lechof yamim, ve'al mifratzav yishkon. A, Gilead inside the Jordan dwelt. A, and Dan, why sojourn ships? A, Asher set to coast seas. B, and upon his breakings dwelt. Verse 18, Zebulun is a people who jeopardize their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also, on the heights of the battlefield. Zebulun am cheref nafsho lamut, ve naftali al merome sadeh. Zebulun people exposed his soul to death. The word haraf comes from a primitive root signifying to pull off. Thus, it is as if Zebulun stripped off his frail humanity and literally exposed his soul, that which animates the body, to death. This doesn't mean that the soul dies. Rather, the body dies, leaving the soul in an unnatural state because the body it is joined to no longer lives. The men of the tribe stated in the singular 
people and his soul were united as one in the effort. It didn't matter if they fought to the last person and the tribe died with them. They would fearlessly engage the enemy. Also, and Naphtali upon Heights Field. The words appear incomplete, but the thought is that Naphtali joined with Zebulun and Barak on Mount Tabor. That's Judges 4-6. When the time for battle was decreed, Naphtali was there, ready to expose his soul to death as well as by descending to the open field of battle below. The words are given to contrast the failings of those of Reuben, Gilead, Dan, and Asher. By highlighting their failings, the resolve of Zebulun and Naphtali is deemed exceptional in her eyes. The verse is a complementary AA pattern where the main substance of the first clause is implied in the second. Zebulun am cheref nafsho lamut ve naftali al merome sade. A. Zebulun, people exposed his soul to death. A. And naftali upon heights field. Who will walk worthy of the calling by which we are called in Christ Jesus? Don't hesitate, shuffle your feet, or be stalling. Instead, think on what he has done for us. How can we not be faithful to respond when Christ devotedly answered the call of his Father? May our actions likewise correspond. Let us not treat our calling as an irritating bother. When the Lord instructs us to act, may we pay heed and do as he has said. His way is right and good. That's a fact. Let us be faithfully obedient to our glorious head. Now think about the words of the song that Sheila sang earlier. The Lord created the tree that he died on. Why can't we follow in his steps? Why can't we be obedient to the call? If you think about it that way, the very tree that he died on, he created for that purpose. Our second thought today, cursed morose. It's verses 19 through 23. Verse 19, the kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought into Anach by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. Ba'u malachim nilchamu az nilchamu malche kanan. Be'ta'anach alme Megiddo. Be'tzach kesef lo lachu. Came, kings, fought. The words are short and direct for effect. In this, she is essentially showing their readiness and military preparedness. They came to strike without any timidity. She then expands on the thought for greater effect. Then fought kings Canaan. In Judges 4-2, it said that Jabin was king of Canaan who reigned in Hatzor. It didn't call him the king. Thus, he was one of many kings. Here it notes kings in the plural. Therefore, the army of Sisera was either joined by confederate kings or with vassal kings who reigned under Jabin. Either way, it was a large contingent that entered into battle, into Anach, upon waters Megiddo. This is the first time that Anach is mentioned in relation to the battle. In Judges 1.27, it specifically noted that Manasseh failed to drive out the inhabitants of Anach and its villages. Therefore, the people there would not likely side with Israel. The meaning of ta'anach is uncertain. Some think it is derived from an Egyptian word, while others think it is from an Arabic word. There is no corresponding root found in Scripture. 
However, without any explanation, so I tried to send him an email, but he died hundreds of years ago, Charles Ellicott says it means sandy soil. I'd love to know where he got that. No explanation, just means sandy soil. Megiddo comes from gadad, to penetrate or cut. Hence, it signifies invading or intruding. The waters of Megiddo are a poetic term for the river Kishon, mentioned in Judges 4. Despite being readied for battle and in a favorable location, plunder silver no took. These kings and their army expected a route and probably to continue on, defeating Israel throughout the land. However, the battle belonged to the Lord. Instead of plundering for silver, they got nothing except dead. In a direct translation, one can see the straight, abrupt nature of the words, especially in the first and last clauses that highlight the scene. It is an A-A-B-C pattern. Ba'u malachim nilchamu az nilchamu malche kanan beta'anach al me megedo betza kesef lo lachu. A. Came kings fought. A. Then fought kings Canaan. B. In Ta'anach, upon waters, Megiddo. C. Plunder silver? No took. Next, Deborah uses anthropomorphism to excite the minds of those who hear. Verse 20. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. Min shamayim nilchamu ha-kochavim nim silotam nilchamu im Sisera. From heavens fought. Again, the words are short and abrupt. They anticipate the words of the next clause to be completed. One must strip out the sensationalism from innumerable commentaries, though. Deborah is using anthropomorphism, nothing more. In this, she introduces a striking contrast to the kings of Canaan from the previous verse. Came kings fought, from heavens fought. In both, the explanation is found in the subsequent words. The stars from their highways fought with Sisera. Obviously, stars do not fight. This is also not speaking of angels. The battle was fought by men. It was guided by the Lord, and Israel was victorious. Deborah is stating that the battle was so miraculous that it was as if God used the stars of the heavens to assist Israel. Instead of keeping on their designated highways in the heavens, they departed from there, came down, and wiped out the enemy. The contrast is highlighted between the second clause of both verses. Then fought kings Canaan, the stars from their highways fought with Sisera. It is an AA pattern where the second clause explains the first. Min shemaim nilchamu ha chavim mim silotam nilchamu im Sisera. A, from heavens fought. A, the stars from their highways fought with Sisera. Again, Deborah next turns to nature to show that both the heavens and the earth were participants in the battle. Verse 21, the torrent of Kishon swept them away. That ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. Oh, my soul, march on in strength. Nachal Kishon grafam. Nachal kadumim, nachal kishon, tidbrechi nafshi oz. River kishon swept them away. The river, like the stars, is given the attributes of a warrior, as if it helped in the battle. It was Israel, by the guiding hand of the Lord, that defeated the enemy. But because the battle was so profound and the odds so obviously uneven that it was as if the river actually took part, sweeping away the foe before them. 
As for the name Kishon, it comes from the verb kush, to lay bait or to lure. Thus, it means snarer or place of snaring or ensnarement. Another word found only here in scripture is garaf. It signifies to sweep away. It comes from a primitive root, meaning to bear off violently. It is as if the river reached out, grabbed the men, and carried them away as plunder. What was probably the case is that the enemies were chased up to the river where they were slaughtered. Their bodies falling into the river would have then been swept away. Next, Deborah says, river antiquities, river Kishon. Again, another unique word is seen. It is a plural noun, Kedumim, coming from the same as Kedem or East. But East in scripture speaks of a foretime, the past, and even eternity itself, as in Micah 5 verse 2 when referring to the origins of the Messiah. Being a plural, it signifies ancient times or antiquities. The type of river is a nachal or a torrent that comes from the verb nachal to inherit. This is normally a river that doesn't flow all year, but only when the rains come. Then they rush suddenly through the land, inheriting it. This may explain the plural word antiquities. Even though it doesn't always flow, it was carved out in the ancient past and has flowed innumerable times since creation. The words form their own type of pun. The enemy is the inheritance of the snarer. Following this comes a short, abrupt, and difficult to pin down thought. March, my soul, strength. Most translations heavily paraphrase what is said, trying to convey some type of meaning. But the short and abrupt nature of the words speaks for itself. As Ellicott says, these sudden exclamations, which break the flow of the poem, add greatly to its fire and impetuosity. That is the whole point. Deborah is a female and did not directly participate in the battle. And yet, despite her gentler frame, she led the army to subdue a superior force. Therefore, she claims strength expressed in the marching of her soul. This is probably affixed to the verse about the river to show that just as the river was swift and powerful, so is she because of her trust in the Lord. The words form an A-A-B pattern. Nachal kishon grafam. Nachal kedumim nachal kishon. Tidrechi nafshi oz. A. River kishon swept them away. A. River antiquities. River kishon. B. March my soul. Strength. Verse 22. Then the horse's hooves pounded. The galloping, galloping of his steeds. Deborah continues to introduce new and rare words into scripture. Az ikvesus. Midaharot daharot abirav. Then hammers heals horse. The word halam is now brought in. It signifies to beat, hammer, strike down, something like that. Some translations say that this indicates the breaking of horse's heels from being ridden too hard as they gallop. This is not what it means. The word indicates the action, not what happens from the action. Deborah is describing what it was like during the battle. At that time, the horse's hooves hammered. With that, the source of the action, the hammering, is next described. From gallopings, gallopings his mighties. The noun is dahara, coming from dahar, to rush or dash. As it is a horse, it indicates prancing or galloping, but it is plural, gallopings. Deborah uses a literary tool known as an 
anadiplosis, the repetition of a word or words to excite the mind. In this case, it is to convey the ongoing nature of the horse as it runs. Using the plural noun form further stimulates the mind, bringing the hearer right into the account. And more, the word dahar is a form of onomatopoeia. Dahar, 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 as the horse runs. As such, the words are literally filled with the liveliness of the battle as the horse darts according to the reins of its master. Lastly, she calls the horses mighties, from another new word, abir, coming from the adjective abir, which is used poetically to describe God as mighty. The words literally exude excitement and mental pictures making an AA pattern with a special repetition for effect. As halemu ikvesus, midaharot daharot abirav. A then hammers, heals, horse. A from gallopings, gallopings his mighties. With that, Deborah conveys her anger at those unwilling to participate. Verse 23 Curse Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Having spoken forth one anadiplosis, Deborah continues with that literary tool. Oru meroz amar malach Yehovah. Oru aror yosh veha kilo ba'u le'ezrat Yehovah. Le'ezrat Yehovah ba'giborim. Curse meroz said messenger Yehovah. The verb is imperative. You are to curse meroz. This is the only time meroz is mentioned in scripture it is undoubtedly referring to a city. Barnes says it was a village 12 miles from Samaria. The JFB commentary says that it was on the confines of Issachar and Naphtali, which lay in the course of the fugitives. The NAS says the name is connected to Eretz, a cedar, but Abarim ties it to a Semitic verb Eretz, to withdraw or hide. If so, the M prefix signifies an agent or place of, and thus place of, of withdrawing. Jones's dictionary simplifies that and says refuge. In other words, it appears that Moroz was close to the battlefield or on the trek of the flight of some of the warriors, probably providing a chance to hide and recuperate. This is speculation, but it may be that the name Moroz was given because of the events that took place. It also seems likely based on the last two clauses. Next, it says, said messenger Yehovah, there's no article before messenger, and the verb curse is plural. Thus, it is referring to a human, not an angel. It is Deborah speaking of herself. She was wholly enraged at the conduct of Moroz for its conduct. And so, cursing, curse her inhabitants. The words are imperative, followed by an infinitive absolute. In essence, you are to definitely be cursing her with a curse. This city failed in its primary obligation of supporting Israel and was to be cursed by the people. This is because, for no came to help Jehovah. A city so close to the battle should have participated in it, but the meaning of the name adds its own emphasis. They didn't just fail by not coming to help in the battle. They were no help at all after the battle. They probably allowed those who fled to retreat right through their area their action was absolutely inexcusable. Here, as always, the army of Israel and the power of the Lord are united as one. Referring to the same battle, it will often say both the Lord won the battle and that Israel fought the battle. 
That is the idea here. Moroz was unwilling to help Israel, and thus they were unwilling to help the Lord. For effect, she then repeats the matter, to help Jehovah in the mighties. A different word than that of verse 22 is translated here as mighties. It speaks of one who is strong or mighty, such as warriors. The implication is that they had proven themselves anything but valiant warriors. Therefore, in her eyes, they were a city of sissies. The words form a marvelous A-A-B-B pattern filled with repetition. Oru meroz amar malach Yehovah. Oru aror yoshveha kilo ba'u le'ezrat Yehovah. Le'ezrat Yehovah ba'giborim. A. Curse Meroz, said Messenger Yehovah. A. Cursing, curse her inhabitants. B. For no came to help Yehovah. B. To help Yehovah in the mighties. With these words, our verses for today are complete. But let us remember a lesson from these people and their interactions with the Lord. We are called with a calling that is irrevocable, but we are admonished to walk worthy of our calling. Israel was called and they generally failed to walk worthy of it. At times, some in the nation did while others didn't. Sometimes a calling was made and a part of the people failed to respond. That happened with Moroz and they received a curse. In Judges 20, another calling will be made. In Judges 21, those who failed to respond will be struck with the sword. We are called to holy living. If we fail at that, we may reap the consequences of our actions. The way to keep from such things is to know the Lord through knowing his word. In living according to what he says, things will go well with their souls. We will walk worthy of our calling and we will receive rewards when we stand before his judgment seat. Let us therefore determine to walk worthy before him all of our days. Okay, we have um, uh, several people in here that have their own struggles in life. I had them talk to each other today. And I hope that they will communicate with each other and they will support each other. Every one of us has something that we're lacking in this life. Some of us have struggles, trials, addictions. It doesn't matter what. We need to respond to the call of the Lord first and foremost. That's what we need to do. And then we need to trust the Lord to get us through whatever is going on in our lives. So I would ask you to do that today. I would ask you to lean on the Lord wholly and completely. And as I said a second ago, the only way you're going to be able to do that is to know how to lean on the Lord, which is to know his word. He's given it to us for a reason. He's given us this word for a reason, is to keep us on the straight and narrow path. Nothing's going to stop you from leaving that path. The Lord isn't going to force you back onto it because you're his. He's going to allow you to make mistakes so that when you come back, you will appreciate him all the more. But it's better just not to go into those things not to get onto those side paths, but focus on the Lord. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That is what I would ask you to do today. And above all, if you are not right with the Lord, I would ask you to consider that and to give your life to the Lord. I'm so thankful for that guy in Pakistan. Once again, 46 people came to his Jesus film video. Nine people came to the Lord. The rest of them saw the door open and they didn't enter through. Maybe they'll come back and watch again and they'll enter through. But we would pray that they would make the right decision and not be left behind. The Lord is coming someday and we need to be ready. So give your life to the Lord through simple faith. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he was buried and I believe he rose again. 
That's what God asks you to do. Everything else comes after that. Everything. Trust the gospel, the simple gospel, the one gospel, by the way, of Jesus. Our closing verse comes from 2 Thessalonians 1. It's verses 11 and 12. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of it. Some of those people in Israel participated. Some of them didn't. Paul is praying for us as people that are brought into the commonwealth of Israel to walk worthy of our calling. Israel was called with a calling. Walk worthy of the one that you have been called to. Next week is Judges 5, 24 through 31. I, Chihuahua, wonders galore. It's entitled The Song of Deborah. Part 4. Thank you, Jay. That'll be our 16th Judges Sermon. Okay, I got a uh, poem for you. Oh, wait, before I give you the poem, I got a question. I have for you one more of these. This is Chick-fil-A, 10 bucks. You get maybe, what, a quarter of a sandwich with that? I don't know what it costs anymore, but money doesn't go very far anymore. Um, let's see here. Um, oh, okay, raise your hand, please. Oh, listen, before I go on, that guy over there, right there, last week said he raised his hand, and I didn't see it, and he got the question right. So I want to give Burke credit for that, okay? He did get the car because Ethan didn't want it, so he drove it home, okay? But um, I, I didn't know that. Raise your hand. I'll try to look more broadly. But so many went over in that corner. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. Raise your hand. Who does the New Testament use as an example of patience? Okay, somebody said Job first, but I didn't see a hand. Did you raise your hand at the time? You did. Okay, he got it, and then you got it. And then, did you get Job too? Oh, you did. Okay, well, Mike, did you say it before? Oh, you were late. Okay, so it was Mike. This will be yours, and you'll get a half of a sandwich or something for 10 bucks. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Okay, I got a poem, and then we'll be done. Very good. Three people got it. That's why you got to get those hands up, is because it's it's hard to hear, and I don't want anybody to get left out. Yes. What? Oh. Who does <laughs> You're Are you kidding or are you making me say this to look dumb? I'll read the question again just in case. I never know. He pulls my chain a lot. Who does the New Testament use as an example of patience? Think of Job and it's James I think that says it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So you weren't pulling my chain. I thought you might be like yanking on me and I'm like, I don't have much hair left. Okay. Okay. The Song of Deborah, part three. Then rule remnant to majesty's people. Jehovah rule to me in the mighties. From Ephraim, their root and Amalek. After you, Benjamin, in your peoples. From Machir, descended inscribers. And from Zebulun, drawers in rod counter. And commanders in Issachar with Deborah, and Issachar, so Barak. In the valley sent in his feet, in divisions Reuben, great resolutions heart. Why sit between the trivets, hearing hissings flocks? <laughs> to divisions Reuben, great searchings heart. Gilead inside the Jordan dwelt, and Dan, why sojourn ships? Asher sat to coast seas, and upon his breakings dwelt. Zebulun, People who exposed his soul to death 
and Naphtali upon Hype's field. Came kings, fought, then fought kings Canaan into Anach upon waters Megiddo. Plunder silver? No took. From heavens fought, the stars from their highways fought with Sisera. River Kishon swept them away. River antiquities, river Kishon, march my soul, strength. Then hammers, heels, horse, from gallopings, gallopings his mighties. Curse Miraz, said messenger Yehovah, cursing, curse her inhabitants, for no came to help Yehovah, to help Yehovah in the mighties. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are to you for a wonderful, beautiful word. Even if there are parts that are difficult and we just can't grab them, they have meaning to you. And someday we're going to see everything revealed as it should be revealed. And I can't wait for that day. I can't wait to see where maybe my translation was lacking or maybe I got something right that others didn't. It's so exciting, Lord. It's just a treasure. Pray for tomorrow's sermon typing so that we'll have something more exciting to come in about nine weeks and uh, ask for strength in that and wisdom as to uh, properly handling your word. And Lord, I pray for each person here that they will not sit on the sidelines and try to decide what to do to the point where it never gets done. Give them the wisdom to up, get into the battle, and tell people about Jesus while we have time. May it be so to your glory, and we pray this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.